The Moth is brought to you by Progressive. Progressive helps you compare direct auto rates from a variety of companies so you can find a great one, even if it's not with them. Quote today at Progressive.com to find a rate that works with your budget. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. We all have a story to tell, and the Moth's education program is looking to help young people tell their stories. High school students can develop their storytelling skills with the Moth Summer Story Lab. Join us for a free, one-week-long workshop where you'll learn the art and craft of sharing your own story. From brainstorming to that final mic drop moment, we've got you covered. Plus, you'll make new friends, build skills that shine in school and beyond, and have a blast along the way. Whether it's at the family dinner table or a college essay starter, your story matters. Virtual and in-person options are available to fit your style. Workshops begin in August. Don't miss out. Sign up now and learn more today at themoth.org forward slash story lab. Apply by June 23rd. Welcome to The Moth Podcast. I'm Sarah Jane Johnson, Director of Creative Operations at The Moth and your host for this episode. Growing up is, well, you can plug in a bunch of synonyms for awkward from the thesaurus and you probably still won't come close to describing how awkward it actually is. So, senior year, high school auditorium. I was on the basketball team, but I didn't play much. But one night, all eyes were on me. I had been asked to sing the Star Spangled Banner at the Friday night basketball game. The night comes and there in my blue and white Bennington Badger uniform, I begin. I start strong. I'm getting into it and I'm looking out at the sea of faces, so many of which I recognize from my super small town. And just barely into the second section, the words disappear. I mean, I am perfectly on key, but the words remain the same. Where I should be singing the rocket's red glare, I'm still on broad stripes and bright stars. Now my teammates have started singing, shouting really, to help me get back on track, yet my ears are ringing so loudly I can't hear them. I somehow recover by the last line and it mercifully ends. I wish I could tell you that I went on to shoot the game-winning basket that night, but alas, I warmed the bench for most of the game like I always did. If you can believe it, this is the first time I've talked about this experience. Ever. Anyway, point is, growing up can be hard, but there's something special and sometimes freeing about sharing stories from that time. And our new show, Grown, that's G-R-O-W-N, the very first spinoff of the Moth Podcast, is focused on exactly that. It has the great moth storytelling you've come to love, plus conversations between our fantastic hosts, Eliza and Fonzo, and so much more. If you're looking for something to recommend or listen to with a young person in your life, I think this could be a perfect fit. But don't just take my word for it. Here's one of our favorite episodes all about how music can shape how we find our identity. Don't worry, none of the stories are about the Star-Spangled Banner. I'm in Williamsburg. I'm with my two best friends. Got my boy Ruben, my boy Billy. And we're going to this venue, which is a bar, but a venue in the back of the bar. When we got there, I didn't buy a ticket. And what do you know? We get there, and the bouncer lets us in for $20 each. I think there was a DJ there before the, the performance started, and so there were, like, songs playing. The cool kids were there, you know what I'm saying? A whole bunch of kids with grills, Williamsburg, Brooklyn vibes, a whole bunch of people who want to follow me back on Instagram. And it's Baby King. 
and he makes his way 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden he jumps out, kills it. It was really a memorable experience because literally right after this concert, which was in the wintertime, it went into January and then COVID struck and like that was, you know, I didn't see my friends for a long time, so. God, last concert before the pandemic, this must have been like a crazy bonding experience for you guys. It was, it was, it really was. Even today, like, I feel like me and my friends um, really bond over like, just the fact that we would know. Baby Keem, like, we know every song. It's it's really a part of our friendship, especially, like, that was the last thing that happened before, like, we were all secluded from each other. I think it really helped. Grown. 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 I'm Aliza. And I'm Fonzo. And this is Grown, a podcast from The Moth full of stories about what it means to grow up. On this episode, we've got two stories focused on the strange and beautiful ways music can shape your life. First up is Eddie Laughter with a story that will leave you wanting an encore. I'm on my way to see live music for the first time, and I'm so much more anxious than I think I have any right to be because this band I'm about to see, I'm completely and utterly obsessed with, and I have seen every interview YouTube will physically let me watch, and I have listened to them so much. At this point, it's it's probably doing something unhealthy to me. I don't know how that would work, but it's happening. (laughs) And when I listen to, and this is because when I listen to them, all of a sudden I feel like I'm big and like I'm powerful and like nothing can touch me when I'm walking down the street which is really not something I feel at this, like, ever at this point in my life. And I feel, like, so small and clunky and, like, I don't fit into my own body right. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of starting to think that the middle school mentality that I'll never fit into any scenario I go to is just going to be how I live my life. And I feel like I'm, like, I just have to accept this at this point. So it doesn't make any sense that I'm this anxious to see this band. But I'm trying to think about what I can expect, and I'm just kind of thinking about how in movies, punk shows are always, like, a bunch of loud, aggressive, intoxicated white boys, and that doesn't really seem like my scene. And I'm spiraling a bit, and I'm looking around on the train, and I see this girl who's about like nine or 11, I don't know how age works, but she's there, and she's with her dad, and I'm like, wonder if they're going to the punk show, and then I'm more of a mess, and I'm still spiraling, and then I get off the train, and we get to the venue, and it doesn't look like a venue, but it definitely is a venue, because I get inside, and it's dark, and everyone's bigger than me, and it's really loud, and I pick a direction, and I just start walking, and I see my eighth grade math teacher, and because of course I see my eighth grade math teacher. So I go up and talk to my eighth grade math teacher because that's how he wants to spend his Friday. And I get up to him and it was a lot less awkward than you would think. And he asked me about music and what bands I listen to and I forget every single band I've ever heard of ever. And I'm like, this one. And thankfully I'm interrupted by the first band that's up and they have this very, they introduce themselves and they have this very nice welcoming like about just like accepting everyone who's at the show and I'm like oh wow and then they start screaming and they sound like they're wounded animals and but then there's this weird pop music playing underneath it and they're still screaming and then after each song ends the front person goes thank you and then continues screaming for the next song and it's awesome and then this goes on for a bit and it stops and then I kind of creep out of the corner that I'm in and the next band is up and these guys just they legitimately sound like they're demons and like just from how they're moving to the way this man's like eyes look and whatever the noise is that's coming out of him and for some reason I start to relax a bit and people are starting to dance around me and in like this sort of like way where it feels like there's a 
big sense of unity in the room, and I don't know where that's coming from. And then this lady behind me goes, well, that was aggressive. And I'm like, yeah, it was aggressive. And then that band, is, they're done. And then I'm like, my band is next. So I kind of like creep up to the front middle of the room. So I'm next to this woman who has, who's bragging to her friends about all the new patches she's put on her jacket. And I'm like, I support your DIY craft so much. And then my band has gone up to tune their instruments. And I'm like, and then I, I text my friend and I'm like, I see the front woman. And she's like, ah, and I'm like, ah, and this is all over text. And then I can, I'm so excited and I can feel everyone else is just as excited as I am. And it, feel like, it feels like the room is like buzzing, which is so crazy because no one's ever excited about what I'm excited about. And then they start playing and it's like all of the air and sound gets sucked out of the room and we're all watching them. And we're all just so excited to be there, but it's like beyond excitement at this point. And it's like everybody is where I am in my head right now. And I, we're all just there together and we're all having the same experience. And they start to play more songs and, and they start to like get into the music a little bit more and everyone else around me is doing that as well. And they start to play my favorite songs and apparently everybody else's favorite songs too. And then people are starting to dance more, more. And there's this woman in front of me and all she's doing is like jumping up and down, which in any other context would look ridiculous but it doesn't at all look ridiculous now and, and like I can do that too so I start to like move and like jump around a bit and then I'm it, I get that same sense of power and freedom that I get when I listen to it normally but it's like fresher or it was like revi revived or something and then someone kind of nudges me and like pushes me out of the way and like takes my front middle spot and I'm about to like get internally offended because con conflict is scary. And <laughs> then, but then I just see that this woman was just making space for her girlfriend to go up next to her and I'm like, this is a room full of punk queer women and I just, I didn't know that was a thing and I just need a minute to like sit and process that and I look around and I see the girl from the train sitting on her dad's shoulders with like these big clunky headphones so her ears don't get all messed up and I would think that it would be weird for a kid to be here, but she looks like she's exactly where she's supposed to be. And I feel, and I start to realize that I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be too. And so I just let myself hold on to that. And the last thing I want to do is run away and hide in a corner. And I really feel like I belong here. And I'm so happy and I've never felt this kind of happy before. And then like the, the band is still in a show and there's like a mosh pit that's forming next to me, which I don't go over, I don't go in because I would get squashed like a little tiny person pancake. But <laughs> I'm like on the side of it and I can still feel all of like the energy and from it. And I'm just, I'm still like kind of like riding off of that excitement that I'm feeling and that everybody else is feeling as previously mentioned. And then eventually the band and like they stop playing and I feel and I come back to my body and I realize how much I have to pee and get a glass of water. And I really don't want to leave the room, but I realize that I have to. And I kind of look at the, the front woman and I'm like, ah! And then I leave and get on the subway and I'm looking at all these other people who are at the show with me and I can tell because they're holding like little various bits of merch or whatnot. And I'm looking at them and I'm realizing that I'm, they're all like me in some way and in so many different ways they're like me which I really didn't think was a thing. And I didn't, I didn't realize that I had something to grow up into before. I don't really know what I thought would happen to me, but I just never had an image that my life could like go somewhere and I could stay being like the weirdo person I am and have it make sense in the world around me. And I started to realize that the small feeling that I'm holding onto, I don't need it anymore. And I never needed it. 
and that I'm not that small person and I'm not going to be small forever and I don't need to be and that I'm going to be okay and it's just so crazy to think about. Thank you. That was Eddie Laughter. We asked Eddie how their younger self would describe him now. She said, little, or littler Eddie, would expect me to be less confused than I am right now, but would also be so excited and impressed at how much I've stopped hiding myself. That's really sweet, Eddie. I love that. If you want to see a photo of Eddie on their way to the concert, or if you'd like to hear more from the band Eddie went to see, check out themoth.org slash grown. It's the best place to learn more about grown. Up next, we have a story about finding a community. But first, Fonzo, Eddie's story really got me thinking about how much music can shape a person, especially when they're younger. For Eddie, it was the band The Screaming Females. For you, was there an artist or album that really shaped you? Yeah. (laughs) Goes by the name of Drake. Call me mainstream or whatever. I'm a big, big Drake fan. I just remember, like, senior, like, prom, coming home, like, somebody was driving me home. One of my friends was driving me home, and then just one of those, it was like, I'm done. You know what I'm saying? I'm finally done with this. And then, like, um, Hold On, We're Going Home was playing. I was driving in the car, and, you know, like, the wind was hitting my face, (laughs) and it just hit differently. And so, yeah. That's such a beautiful, like, experience. Like, when the music amplifies the, like, emotions you're already feeling. Exactly. Is there a collection of music or an artist that helps you through throughout high school or, like, helped you get through certain things or bond with friends? Mm. So I grew up listening in my house to 80s new wave music. So, like, Depeche Mode, Yazoo, um, Oh, The Cure, and somehow mm. U2, which isn't really new wave. But anyways, um, so that was music I grew up listening to. And What about Sting? No, he doesn't fall into that category. Oh, okay. Wrong category. (laughs) Just like, I don't know, 80s sad boy music. But anyway, so that's like what I grew up listening to. And um, and then when anytime I tried to play like the cool music that kids in school were playing, my parents were like, this is not real music. I'm such a fan of your parents. I'm sorry. (laughs) Your parents are cool. They're pretty cool. Because honestly, that is beautiful music and I love it. And like, um, but then I... I also just felt like I didn't know what the cool kids were listening to because I just wanted to listen to, like, Caterpillar by The Cure on repeat, which is the weirdest song ever. And I remember one time making all my cousins watch the music video and then being like, you need help. Like, what is this? Oh, no, 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 no. It's a very weird Never song. judge someone for their music preference. That is that the message here. That should be the number, one, the number one rule. Yeah, because then and you'll end up like me, not cool knowing kids, what I like. Not knowing what the cool kids are listening to makes you the cool kid. Trust. Oh, I wish, like, 14-year-old Eliza could hear that. Boy, does she need to hear that. <laughs> Alistair Bain is up next with a story that really hits home for me. As a teenager staying in Washington, D.C., when I met a guy who was willing to trade my Ramones album for a one-way bus ticket to New York... This was fortuitous because getting to New York was part of my super big revenge plan against my parents and everyone who had ever rejected or bullied me for being queer. And the plan went like this. Go to New York because that's where you go to be famous. Become a rock star. Make everyone sorry. (laughs) 
it was only when I got to New York and the sun was setting and the temperature was dropping that I felt like perhaps I should have fleshed out this plan a little bit more <laughs> to include, like, shelter, food, and more than the $2.17 funding I had. I was sitting in Washington Square Park trying to act cool like I didn't care, and that was when I met Robin. Robin was another Native kid who had determinately bleached his hair, just like Mike Monroe from Hanoi Rocks. And he came up and started talking to me. Robin had been on the street since he was 14 when he ran away from foster care, which could have made some people jaded. But with Robin, it was like it made him more aware of what other people were suffering. So when he found out that I didn't have a place to stay, he said, come stay with me. That first night, we listened to music and talked about bands we liked. And then slowly, we began to talk about the deeper things in life. At that time, I tried to act like I didn't care about anything, because if you don't care, you can't be hurt. But I found myself telling him about things in my childhood that hurt me. He had reached across the bed to me and pulled me close and said, nobody's going to hurt you when I'm here and it scared me to death. Because in the world I came from, of course, if somebody gave you a place to stay, they were going to touch you, but I didn't think that way, like he really cared. And that was something new and frightening for me. I just come to New York for my revenge plan and not to fall in love or something hallmark like that. <laughs> but that was what happened over the next few months. The thing I remember most about our relationship is that Robin had all these dreams for what our life could be. And when he found out that I could paint and draw, he used to tell me stories about where we'd live and the dogs we'd own and the things we'd do. And he'd say, draw that for me. And I would, and he'd put it up on the wall. Robin had this idea that when we turned 18, everything was going to be different. Like, we had had to be strong swimmers in an unforgiving ocean, and being 18 was the shore. But as each of us rolled past that mark in our lives, we found out that addictions and problems just follow you. And I can remember a few weeks before Robin was going to turn 19, he looked at me and said, nothing's really going to change, is it? I said, yeah, it is. Of course it is. And I pointed to all the drawings I'd drawn of our future. And he smiled at me and said, the thing I like about you most is you've got such a good heart that you're really shitty at lying. I wish that maybe I'd been a better liar or I believed more because when Robin turned 19 on his birthday, he took his own life. I'd left New York, I'd left behind those drawings, and I just wanted to forget. But I found that I couldn't forget, but not in a painful way, but in a way that throughout my life when I had wanted to quit, I'd remember all the things he believed I could do. When I was 51 years old, I had an opportunity to finally go back to New York City after all those years. This time, I was going back to do a show. I wasn't coming in on a Greyhound bus, but I was flying in on a jet. Coach, but it was a jet. <laughs> I 
When I got to New York, I decided I was going to check into my hotel and then walk around the places where we used to hang out. All of them seemed strangely clean and gentrified. As I walked around, I allowed myself to daydream of what if Robin had lived? What if he was walking right beside me and we were celebrating coming back to this city with a better life? And then I wondered, would he still love me if he was here today? What would he think of the kind of person I am? As I was crossing a street and stepping up onto the sidewalk, I looked down at the curb and there was a pink and black sticker and it said, you're doing just fine, keep going. And I stood there looking at it with all the life of New York City around me. And I knew that I had never, ever regretted allowing myself to fall in love. That was Alistair Bain. When we asked him how his younger self would describe him now, Alistair said, although it is a bit disappointing that the rock star thing never panned out, being an artist and having seven dogs is a pretty sweet deal. We were curious what Alistair's band sounded like and sent him an email asking if we could hear a song or two. He responded, sadly, we never recorded anything, but perhaps that's best for humanity. <laughs> While our hair was on point, our talent may have been um, lacking. <laughs> but if you want to see a picture of him during his rock star days, check out themoth.org slash grown. Alistair and Eddie's stories are so different, but they also have some surprising connections. We wanted to explore those connections and get these two amazing storytellers, both at very different stages of their life, to have a conversation about storytelling, music, memory, and so much more. Here's Eddie and Alistair. When I first began listening to music, I was the awkward kid in a small town. And so... For me, the connection at first was between me and the music. And I don't know if I expected to find a community behind the music, but I very quickly did. For me in the 80s, as a queer kid, it was really profound for me that in that scene, people didn't care about sexual orientation or gender identity yeah. um, for the most part. And that was that was an incredible feeling to be able to be like I could be honest about that part of myself. And so I really went from feeling like I would never fit in anywhere to fitting in there. That's awesome. I still feel very new to punk, which I feel like is also feels like a good thing, but I also am very struck by how much it has made me feel like powerful in myself, especially when I don't, and also having a very similar experience of finding punk as an outlet for like queer identities was really cool. Like like a safety in it that I did not, I very much did not expect to find. And it's it feels very hopeful whenever I think about it and powerful. I remember, though, that, you know, people that sort of saw that I was new to town, a little bit uncertain, and um, 
maybe always kind of standing to the side or the corner. They were so friendly and welcoming to me. And um, at one point, me and three of my friends all shared a one-room room. <laughs> and it there was sort of this whole sense of taking care of each other in that scene. Mm, yeah. That went beyond the music and into a sense of um, choosing family, especially yeah. for young queer people, because at that time especially, and sadly it still happens today, a lot of times families will cut ties with a young person who's queer. And so my friends really became my family, and it was something I never really thought I ha would have, and it was the most valuable thing in the world to me. And we could fight like brothers and sisters do, but at the end of the day, we were always there for each other. Yeah. I, oh, I, I think there's something really special about punk and it being very centered around this, or it should be centered around this idea of making sure that it is a space for people who feel like they don't fit in and, there's a feeling of like productivity there and just that not being alone is an active thing and creating it, it is creating a space which mm -hmm. yeah it feels is very powerful this has been wonderful thank you so much for having this conversation with me i enjoyed it so much it's always great to meet somebody else who loves the same music and uh absolutely loved your story and we'll probably listen to it over and over again in the future because I could really relate. Yeah, your story meant a lot to me. It felt, they felt sort of like, it was really nice to just be like, these are, feel vaguely very connected in different, just like at different times. You just listened to an episode of Grown. If you like what you heard, there's four other episodes available right now wherever you get your podcasts. And you can go to grownpod.com for more information on how to listen and the people that make the show. As the senior editor, I am so proud of this podcast. Working with Aliza and Fonzo with our education team, hearing these amazing stories, it's been a magical experience, and we know you'll love it. From all of us here at The Moth, have a story-worthy week. Sarah Jane Johnson is the director of creative operations at The Moth. She's passionate about the transformative power of storytelling and keeping the trains running on time. Originally from Nebraska, she lives in Brooklyn with her son. This episode of the Moth Podcast was produced by Sarah Austin Janess, Sarah Jane Johnson, and me, Mark Sollinger. The rest of the Moth's leadership team includes Sarah Haberman, Catherine Burns, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Jennifer Birmingham, Kate Tellers, Marina Cloutier, Suzanne Rust, Brandon Grant, Leanne Gully, and Aldi Casa. All Moth stories are true, as remembered by the storytellers. For more about our podcast, information on pitching your own story, and everything else, go to our website, themoth.org. The Moth Podcast is presented by PRX, the public radio exchange, helping make public radio more public at prx.org.